Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. He's unpredictable. He's relentless. He's fearless. He's smart. He's a jerk. Oh, man, what a jerk. How would you describe Kirk Minahan? He's talented. He's blunt. He's complicated. He's the fakest tough guy I know. He's honest. A self-proclaimed weenie. He's angry. He's actually a good guy. He's a psycho big-mouth prick. I wish we had more Kirk Minahans. How would you describe Kirk Minahan? Combustible. Unpredictable. Venomous. Chesty. Obnoxious. Selfish. Polarizing. Pompous. Enough about me. Let's get to the show. It's Kirk Minahan's Enough About Me. All right. I got Buck in here this week. Steve Buckley. My goal was to avoid any long stories about fucking Tony Canigliaro and cover the Mariners in 1962 or any of that stuff. I just wanted to talk to Buck about Buck. I wanted to get the bitter Buck because he doesn't hate anybody, which frustrates me. So we talked about the EI. We gossiped a little bit about the media. We talked about him coming out of the closet. We did it all, but an hour-long conversation. I'll apologize because I had a cold. I still kind of have it now, so I sound like shit. But Buck sounded great. It was a good talk with my friend Steve Buckley. So as I gaze out in this magnificent vista... As we're in right now. Now look at the midday show, the 10 to 2 show with your friend Glenn Ordway, Lou Merloni, and Fourier. I am reminded, and correct me, Buck, if I'm wrong, that was a show that at one point in the history of EEI was offered to you, or you were in the mix for, or is that wrong? It was never offered. I right. was in, in the mix. Were you a finalist? But, well, I, 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 can, I can tell you this. I, I always thought that it was a bag job for Numi. Oh, so it was the Numi time, it not was the Holly the, time. No, no, no. It was the Numi time. And... And we all did various versions of the show. I did it with, I think, Dale. Right. And for a while, there was talk that McAdam was going to get it, then this guy was going to get it. And what I can tell you is that we were at the Super Bowl, and I forget which one it was because the Pats have been in so many. And we were on a bus, and McAdam got a call from Jason Wolf mm-hmm. saying, hey, it's not going to be you. We moved in a different direction and so forth. And McAdam told me that. And... So he said, we're on a bus going to, you know, Patriots right. press conferences. Yeah. And he says, did you get a call? And I go, well, no. So now I'm thinking, well, geez, McAdam's out. And so I called up Jason and I said, hey, just wondering what's going on with the show and blah, blah, blah. And he said, uh, and he said, just just hold on for a bit. We haven't made a decision yet. And I said, am I still in the running? He says, yes, just hold on. So that – so. They were candid with Sean. Right. So I figured, well, why aren't they just saying, no, it's not going to be you? Because, you know, again, we thought it was a bag job for Numi, which I think it was. Okay. But I think I think me and maybe a few other people might have been a fallback if the negotiations fell through. fell through or something like that. You wanted it, though. Oh, of course I did. Yeah? Absolutely. I mean, do you still like doing radio? I love doing radio. But I also don't have a uh, – I don't go sticking daggers in people. And I can tell the what story now or later as to how – not holding a grudge got me 15 years on the big show with Glenn. What do you What do you mean? What do you mean sticking daggers in people? Well, like you who? get all you know. Well, well, how Pete imploded? Oh, okay. On air? How they talking about me? All right. No, okay. no, no. We'll get to you. Okay. But, um, plenty of time. But uh, listen, I love Pete. Uh, working with Shepherd, Pete on the yes. Pete Shepherd. Just last week. Working with Pete on the big show all those years was a joy. I, I work with Pete. I I love the guy. He was enormously entertaining. Yes, a great yes. But he also. Boom! 
Well, I think Pete, and, Pete sometimes, you know, he's got a big heart, right? Absolutely. He's a great guy. But I think sometimes he starts, I wouldn't say quite say imagine things, but he starts to think that the world is sort of out to get him a little bit. And to your point, goes from Bill Bixby to Lou Ferrigno. He just, it just, it just <laughs> bam, gone. And that, and that, that was right in my wheelhouse. That, that was a good one. That's a little more, a little too modern for you, Buck. Yeah. But, but, you know, and you, and, and you, and you want to say the Pete, you just want to grab him and say, just take a deep breath. Just, which I know people always say to me, just take a deep breath and relax. It'll work out. But to your point, he didn't do it. But so you did it, got you 15. What 20 years ago, a woman named Bev Tilden took over programming at WEEI mm-hmm. after Phil Serkin. And Phil Serkin brought me in in 93. And Beverly hired me full time for a job that was kind of goofy. It was like I was the full time fill in. And doing a weekend show. A weekend show, yeah. And I was doing, you know, I was doing the quality hang. Mm-hmm. And I was doing on-air commentaries, like a piece of my mind, Ted Baxter shit. Like during the day? Though I would record five of them. Wait, they'd run one in the morning, one in the afternoon. Were they terrible or were they yeah, just- Yeah, it was yeah. like, you know, I'm Steve Buckley and I'm not happy, you know. And, oh, that shit. Yeah. But and it, was nobody, like a, it was all sort of new ground, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so I did a commentary. They would take- I remember those. Yeah. They would do one in the morning, one in the afternoon. Um, would you tape both at the same time? Yeah, I take. Yeah. I come in. It was on Huntington Ave, right? And I would tape all ten of them at once. Oh, for the week. For the week. So, but and it was they, like the stuff on ninety five where they have the, uh, uh, the Feinstein or whatever. Feinstein, like you know that but thing. Was it, it must have been kind of evergreen, though. They were right. Yeah, it was like you know, God is good. Doesn't get hitter and shit like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, oh. I, yeah, exactly. God, good point. Right. And um, so they have Eddie on the afternoon drive, yeah. and you know, you know the the deal. Mm-hmm. And so within a year, they moved Beverly out, and they bring Glenn in as program director. Right. Now Glenn had been doing the, the Celtics, and they let him out in handcuffs one day. Mm-hmm. And he, he claims otherwise, but they, they really wanted him out. And so he's not doing the Celtics anymore. He becomes program director. And everybody with a brain knew that he was going to make himself the afternoon drive host. Mm-hmm. Why be program director otherwise? And so he calls me in one day, and he says, I have to fire you. And I said, oh. And he said, and he was, he couldn't have been more honest about it. And he says, I'm coming up with an idea for a new show, mm-hmm. and I want Sean Grandy to be my Flash guy. Right. Who does the Celtics now. Right. And I want Sean to be my Flash guy, mm-hmm. and I need the money they're paying you to pay him. To pay Sean. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm working for ESPN at the time on ESPN2 with Keith Olbermann and Susie Colbert and mm-hmm. um, Stuart Scott, and I got the Herald column. I was writing a column three times a week for a paper in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. So the money was just, it was a really good situation for me. Right. So that I was losing EEI was, okay, I can handle that. Mm-hmm. I'll still be able to, you know, pay the bills. Yeah. So I said, well, you know, I didn't hold a gun to anybody said, this is what you got to do, you know, and so forth. Okay, fine. And shook hands and he walked out. And he said, oh, by the way, we'll, you can still do the weekend show. I'll just give you a weekend rate. Right. So Glenn apparently thought I was going to grab him by the throat and get him in a headlock and you know, yeah. you know, go nuts. And so I didn't know it at the time, but a day later he's on the phone with Jason Wolf, and they're putting together what would become the big, the big show, show. Right. Who would be the co-host? Mm-hmm. I was not in the mix. Mm-hmm. I was not going to be part of no, that. No, he never thought about you for that. At not first. even wasn't even didn't even didn't even didn't even say no because I wasn't in front of his eyes. Right. So now he says to Jason, "Hey, put Buck on the list." I thought Buck was going to get me in a headlock. And oh, so if you were a dick, he wouldn't be on the list. If I was you don't a dick, think. I wouldn't be on the list. So as it happened, I ended up being on the first show. Yeah. And then he calls me up the next day. He says, boy, I think the chemistry is really good between us. Next thing I know, 
I'm on the show two or three times a week for 15 years. And I get to do my kitchen, buy a new car, go to Europe, right. and, and like all that. Because it's always, you know, it's just money that shows up. Right. Yeah, you have because, no, right. You have no, it just suddenly a check shows up and, right. Yeah. So, so if, if you're already watching games and interviewing people to write a column for the Herald, now you just have to, on the way home, stop in here and talk for four hours. It's not like I'm working at a funeral home. Right. Doing oh, right, all, right, and, right. And, and I have to sit down and research all this stuff and then go on the show. So it was it was certainly easy money, and so, so my my larger point being, Glenn and I became really good friends. Uh, he remains one of my favorite people in this business. Uh, whatever else other people may say about him, Glenn never lied to me. So your greatest weakness, I think, is that you like everybody, <laughs> and we've talked about this many times. Yes, I know. I, you will I, never badmouth basically effectively anybody. Ever. And whenever I ask you how you're doing, you say the same thing all the time. Never been better. Never been better. Right? You say every single time. Which is I not- get a problem, though. In, in, I've well, never told anybody. With me? I, I get massive heartburn. You do? Massive. When I get stressed out. When do you get stressed out? You seem very, like right now, you're very laid. You're a very laid back guy. Right. But, well. Although I've seen you angry before. Like, you you can get angry. And but when I get angry, something weird happens in my chest. Have you talked to a doctor about this? Yeah. He said avoid stress and okay. don't how's, do this. And how's don't that do going? That. I avoid stress. You generally avoid stress. But I try. In, yeah, but you're in don't, a business don't. where it can. some people get driven insane. Yeah. Um, one of the Super Bowls, I yeah. got it. I, I had it. Um, Bruins. Bruins postseason because writing live columns in hockey. When they won the Stanley Cup? Yeah. Well, yeah. It was actually the worst one was when they lost to Chicago, one of those right. games right. in the Stanley Cup finals. So that would have been 13. And, uh, and you get this massive heartburn. Then you don't sleep for two days. Uh, I don't know if you read Bob Ryan's book. I did. But uh, he talks about that. I remember reading his book last summer, and he talks about writing columns off of postseason hockey games. And you can you can litter your column with all kinds of stuff for the first edition and, and you know, on plays, ground ball to shortstop, a punt. Basketball is, a you know, there, there's offense every 30 seconds. Right. And hockey, y- you need – you need if you if you're not an expert on the game, and I love hockey. I grew up with Orr and all that. Yeah, no, it's and, different. It is different though, and you're it's right. hard. So I get a little stressed out writing hockey. You feel a little inadequate? No, just it's just the nature of the game. Yeah. Uh, if you give me post game, go talk to a couple of guys. Get you know a columnist doesn't have to do X's and O's. Right. You give me a post game, and and there, and there are certain guys that are really good. Uh, they, like Bergeron is is a is a is a very affable guy. He likes me. I like him. Mm-hmm. Um, w- when he got crunched that time in that game against Philadelphia, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, we were out in Colorado for the World Series. That was in 07. right? And World Series ended. I come back and I they had that press conference mm-hmm. where they brought him in to answer five minutes yeah, yeah, questions, yeah. and and he walked in. And I wrote. I remember writing. He looked like an old man trying to find a seat on a red line car that was moving. Right. And I thought he was never going to play again. I, I became very proprietary about Bergeron because I honestly thought he would never play again. And and he read what I'd written, and we had it. So he's a guy I always go to. I, I genuinely like him. I, but, but you would agree that ninety nine percent of the players in all four sports generally give you shit. Oh, totally. I mean, is that is that a fair? Is totally, that, might be exaggerating. But... And they can they can they can talk for forty five minutes and right. give you nothing. And I think purposely. Do you think it's different? Do you think? The Belichick effect has played its way into other players, other coaches, other athletes. Well, it certainly has in football because it's mandated. No, I know, but do you get the sense that other teams and other cities look at this yes. or even, and just say, well, well there's, there's, Cause there's, there's something to be said to, from their end, what's the point? Right. Like, I, I understand why it's great for you, 
Steve Buckley, but why is it great for me, Dustin Pedroia, who can be really good sometimes, but also really boring sometimes? I was talking with, uh, you know, Jared Carabas? Very well, yeah. And, He's on his podcast. Uh, so I'm a big fan of his. And I, I, I think that, uh, uh, just to go off the tracks here for a minute, we went through the whole era of the fanboy. Well, mm-hmm. I think that the fanboys are now becoming like the cast of Friends. They're getting older, and they're not as cool and hip anymore. The, the like new- who? Like, you mean like the Simmons crowd? Well, the, the Simmons wannabes. Right. Okay, the guys who defend their team. But Carabas every is a fanboy. Well, but except that he's fanboy dot one, okay? Like, he's the next generation. He's the new cell phone. Right. Where Where guys like him will be snarky and critical of the team, witness some of the stuff he's written about yeah, Buckles. Right. And he's the one that did Sandoval. Right. And, but but um, how do you feel when you see Jared Carabas, who I like too, actually, he's a good guy, how do you how do you feel when you sit in a press conference with David Price and they're winking at each other? I have no issue with that at You're all. You're okay with that? No, totally. I mean, how about it's if like, it was Jared Carabas who now writes for the Boston Herald and he's doing that? Listen, I made a pact with myself in 1979, the first time I was in the press box. So it's, it's a written pact? I wrote it down. Yes, it's on the you wall. You signed your name house. on it? Yes. <laughs> you did? It's a screed? I was speaking symbolically. Oh, okay, well, I don't know. You're a very official guy. And um, I was 23. I was working for the Westfield Evening News. And I go into the press box and and first of all, and maybe I just maybe it's what I seen remember. Mm-hmm. It seemed like everybody was enormously fat, old, and right. white. Right. Right. And and there was beer. Mm-hmm. Tommy McCarthy was the press box steward. Were people smoking there? Or no? Oh yeah, yeah. And you go to Chicago, they smoke cigars. Right. And the press, you know, Gleason and those guys, right. uh, Jerome Holtzman, uh, Jouse. I mean, oh, all those old, guys. Uh, old Comiskey Sports Channel show with those guys. Yeah, those are the guys. Yeah, right. Jouse, Gleason, right, right. And, and those guys, and. Um, and and they wouldn't give you the time of day. Just assholes. Out, oh, totally. Purposely, like totally. assholes are just just grumpy old men, right? And and I'm 23 and I'm bright eyed and do you know you you make jokes about being this old guy and I covered this and all that. Why well, don't I, you make those jokes? I actually well, Glenn started it and I right. went with it because it's nice to have a niche. And I know I actually sat in the press box next to Smokey Joe Wood once. <laughs> Believe it or not, they were they were they were doing the, one of his off days. He was they, up with the. Uh, they were <laughs> they were doing uh, it was 1980 and they were doing the or 1982 the 70th anniversary of the 1912 Ooh, Red Sox. Who was left other than him? Just him, I think. How and old it, was he when he died? 90 something. Oh, he yeah, was the okay. coach at Yale for years. Right, right, right. I knew that. And uh, so I'm sitting next to him, and he was he couldn't have been nicer. But my point, my larger point is that when I first started doing this, the old guys were assholes. Right. And I said to myself, I'm not going to be that guy. And if they, and, and there's this group in New York that in the early 60s they would call the Chipmunks. Mm-hmm. You know, Gergen and Dick Young yeah. and, and, and guys that were coming along in the, in the, in the mid-40s and early 50s. And I'm, I'm sorry, Young was already established. This is Gergen, Steve Jacobson, yeah, Lupica, yeah. guys that were coming along. And, and the old guys all be, you know, branded them. As as not worthy of the job and unprofessional. And stuff. Now go go back a generation earlier. Dick Young, um, chain sports writing forever. Right. He was the first guy that he basically invented or popularized the post game quote. Right. And the old guys wrote flowery prose, and you know the sun was setting and the birds were chirping and all that. Well, Dick Young wanted to know what kind of pitch was it and why did you make the change. So he's going down to the Brooklyn clubhouse and talking to Charlie Dressen. And guys like that. And he's got a better game story because he's got information. Right. And the old guys didn't like that. My point being Why is that, that tying the Carabas? Because every guy who comes be along. Guy. 
You don't I, want to be the old asshole. The, the the situation changes. But most guys, are, I come. don't find that most guys are like that now. When I deal with the old, the, that, that older crowd, you, I'm going to put you in there now as an elder statesman. Sure. You're in your 70s now. <laughs> guys like you. Just, just turned 60 and you, still run every day. You and Dan. Right. And Borges. Uh, who am I forgetting? Who else? Uh, Ryan. Yeah, Mike you know, Fine with the Patriot right, Ledger. Uh, Howard Oman just retired. Oman, yeah, I mean, DuPont's AP. an asshole. But, I mean, you know, the, you, we'll get you, to that you later. Would, I want to get you on DuPont. Good. Okay, well, I'm right on that. But by and large, when I first met these guys, you, all these guys, never had an issue. And I, th- I don't think Carabas is having that problem either. But, I, you know, the other reason is I do think the guys on the beat now, day in, day out, maybe it's because of social media. I don't know, maybe, but they are closer to, we always say homers, but whatever, than 20, 25 years ago. I mean, you get the feeling when you follow these guys, I follow them all on Twitter, all the beat writers, they're rooting for the team to win. I think beat writers have always been yeah. homers. Yeah. Well, it's um, just because they have to deal with these guys every because day. Because their job isn't to lob hand grenades. That's what, you know, I, I remember all the fights I used to have with Duquette and, and, and Lackey in recent years, and... Uh, Farrell thinks I'm out to get him. Right. And uh, listen, I never once wrote that Farrell should be fired. Uh, and when you look at some of the moves he's made, I'm, I'm going to throw haymakers at some of the moves he's made. And But the beat writer's job is to cover the team, to work the clubhouse, to get information and so forth. So uh, a generation ago and prior to that, you didn't have the benefit of seeing, seeing, it. seeing right. t- Twitter and Facebook. So you don't... We, we can't go back in time and, and imagine what Joe Gilliotti, Larry Whiteside, uh, uh, Bob Finnegan when he was at the Patriot Legend, guys like that, uh, Bill Ballou and Worcester, what they would have been You don't tweeting. cringe when you see some of the stuff on Twitter? I get amused by it. You don't say, just guys, maybe not. I think the biggest homer of them all is the kid on your beat. Who, Jason? Oh, my God. Yeah, Jason is— uh, you got to talk, talk to him. Uh, I, I think Jason is edgier right now than he was a year ago. Last year was his first year on the beat for a major yeah, newspaper. He's a homer. And, he, want, uh, he, he He's he's one of these guys. He's almost like you know, making wants to make myths reality. Like he wants you to believe do you, do, in the Do you power. still read him? Yeah. Well, it's part of my job. Do you, find, do you find that he's edgier this year than he was a year no, ago? Because I I, oh, I, They're I winning also. That's the other thing. Last well, year they sucked. Yes. And, he, and, he, and he acted like they were playing like they are this year. So He made one. The, the one thing I would criticize him a year ago is that he was doing like a mailbag type thing. Everything was great. And well, it was late in the season. Someone said, hey, are they still in it? And his, his answer was, well, if this happens and that happens. And I'm like, no, they're done. They're, they're you can't do them. that. And uh, but you were critical of Bradford when he does he does commercials with uh, the players. I, I was just critical of Jason just this very second. No, but, but, but I'm saying I'm, I'm moving on to another guy. You're critical of when you heard Rob. You know we've talked about it before. I think on the air you're critical of Rob. When Rob should not be doing commercials with Joe Kelly. Well, but why not? I, I'm not sure I disagree with you. But if you're saying that it's not a big deal, no, the doesn't mean he's not. A, doesn't mean he's he's a he's a good reporter. Guys, open up to him. He's and the best. I love and, him. You know I love he him. He works. The the, he works the clubhouse. Why shouldn't he? I? I think I know the answer why. <clears> but you tell me why he shouldn't be doing. I think there needs to be some separation between you and the players. How come? Because you, you ever going to get critical analysis of Joe Kelly from Rod Bradford? No, but are you ever going to get critical analysis of Joe Kelly from any beat writer? Oh, I think so. Who? Oh, I it, I can't take everyone's your, copy I, I, from the last week. Your, uh, it's almost your job. And Dan's job. Right. And who, like these beat guys, you just said it 90 seconds ago. They're not going to be critical of these guys. My guess is my limited experience, Joe Kelly's really so nice. So let me turn it on. You, he's really what? My, in my limited experience with him, Joe Kelly seems like he's very nice to the writers, kind of a friendly guy. He's got a good seems attitude. Seems that way, yeah. That goes a long way, right? Sure. So they're never going to be critical of him. 
So, so you can do a commercial with them? Or? Well, my point do is- you, I, Do you I, not have a problem with that? Are you telling me you don't? No, I, I'm not a big fan of it. I'll be honest. Well, it's, it's that's not, all, that's it's my not, only point. Well, I'm not arguing it, with it you. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean I, I, I want Rob let out of the ballpark and, and you know listen, go sell linoleum or something. Uh, it, it just simply means I'm not a fan of it. And he knows that. And then the, the, I'll tell you one thing about me. If I get something to say about somebody, I'm going to say it. Yeah. I'm not going to, like, run behind and blah, 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 blah. I said it on the air to mm-hmm. you. He was there. We were the three and, of us that day. And I've said it to him. He knows how I feel about it. Yeah. And it, it, I don't want to launch a congressional investigation. No, I don't I think understand. the Pointer Institute should investigate. <clears throat> but my point is— I think is, it's a bad look. My point is, I think the Reds— I, I think all these guys, and Rob's older, so that don't even count. And Rob, he is the best-dressed sports writer in Boston, he so he's certainly qualified. He's more Red Sox stories than any other local writer. He, I, mean, I just finished saying I'm not, that, I'm not, that, that the I applaud. I'm just, you know. But I think Rob's, Rob's your boy, and you're going to defend them at all turns. I understand. best friends. But the younger guys, I think they've been influenced a lot, and maybe it's a good thing, I don't know, by the Simmons generation. Mm-hmm. And their attitude is to attack hot uh, takes, is to attack anger, is to attack criticism is to attack uh uh contrarianism and sort of throw it all into oh it's easy to do that oh you don't like sports oh this oh that <laughs> and i don't think that's really the case i think you can ask questions and i wonder and i talk what do I wanna, you mean you don't like sports part of it well you read this all the time like oh if you don't you know if you if you don't like steph curry turn in your sports card well, who the fuck doesn't like curry you read stuff like, like who, who, who feels that's that a way? bob ryan thing ryan is always throwing out some if you it, like the world cup oscar you know, like schmidt from south america right. brazil brazil it, 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 if well, you don't I think he, ryan about it because he said if you don't like the world cup turn in your sports card <laughs> well that means i don't like i can't watch oklahoma city that's a bob device last that's, night? that's one that's one that's a standing head to use an old newspaper term yeah that's one he'll truck out so you so you think i'm being you think this younger generation as a whole with social media and twitter in sort of fear of backlash, are any more or less homers? I'm simply ge- saying that if you went back to night when I first walked in the press box, it was Gammons, Gilliotti, Whiteside, um, Jake Liston, Bob Finnegan. I, I know. Now you're getting a whole bunch of names and that people don't know and that right. are important. But I, I think the relationships they had with the players and, and, and the, the way they maybe danced around certain topics because they were beat guys mm-hmm. was probably the same as it is now. The difference being that you can't go back in time and open up a magic cell phone right. and see what Larry Whiteside and Joe Gilliotti were tweeting about the Red Sox in 1979. What, if I give you agree you, with that? Yeah, well, yeah, I think I, yeah, it's impossible to do it. It just feels. But this is the first time I've been exposed to a generation younger than me, anyway. Though, so right? I, you know, I have nothing to compare it to. Maybe I'll maybe I'll say that it's like your, you know, parents with music. Everybody says their music sucks. Your kids' music sucks. I'm going through it now. My dad used to fight with me about my music. Now listen to my daughter's music. It sucks. It's just the way your brain is wired, right? I want to get seven different takes from seven different writers. That that's what I look for. If if I and I've I've <clears throat> seen criticisms where like, oh, you guys all wrote the same stuff every day. Well, if 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 David Price gives up six runs yeah, in the second him. inning, we're all going right. to be all over him. That's easy. But I I want a different twist. Right. So, um. So Jason's going to give his, and mm-hmm. Pete Abes is going to give his, and Shaughnessy, and me, and Ryan, and and I still count Ryan because he's still relevant, still writes an occasional column. He's on Comcast, does national TV and ESPN, so I still include him in the mix. And uh, and my, my take is going to be my take. Yeah. And I wrote a column on Sunday where I applaud Mookie Jackie and Swire do that hit Dance them folks thing, thing, or whatever, thing yeah. which I think is awesome. 
Okay. It's clean. It's fun. It's vibrant. It's in the moment. I got no problem with it. And and so I said I can't. And I, and I said, what's the best outfield in history? Well, it's got to be. It's got to be Rice and Lynn and Evans or Yaz and Reggie and some guy. You know. And I said I just can't imagine them doing this with all respect. And some guy writes me an email and saying, oh, you're trapped in the past. All you write about is the Well, no, I was using my knowledge of the past to make a larger point about the three guys in the moment. Right. And I'm, I'm better equipped to do that than a lot of people outside of maybe Ryan because Ryan would do the same thing. Ryan has institutional knowledge. I have institutional knowledge. You can't get that from Jason because Jason doesn't have the institutional knowledge. So he's going to go down a different road. Pete Davis is going to go down. Nick, um, all the different writers. That's what you want. When I asked Ryan, uh, he was sitting there, and I asked him when he knew he was going to retire, and he said it's when he knew he wasn't as good a writer as he was like 15 or 20 years ago. Do you think you're as good a writer as you were 20 years ago? I think I'm a better writer. Because I'm, I'm and, and I don't know if you have the coming out stuff on your agenda today. but We'll, we'll get there eventually. Um, you're still gay, right? I'm still gay. Okay, good. And uh, I, I think when I came out, <clears throat> I became more relaxed. I, and now I can write. I can say whatever I want. I just feel physically better than I did. What did you feel and, like if you wrote? You mean like you had fear of like blackmail or if you would no, be critical no, of somebody? No, no, or? no, 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 not that. Oh, it's just, just to relax you. And, it just when I'm when I'm relaxed. I'm from I'm, perspective. Yeah. You mean, yeah. And uh, and I told you I get I get I get heartburn majorly to the point where I've had to go to the hospital a few times. And right. Like, oh, this is a heart attack. No, your cholesterol is one one sixty or something. It's crazy. Um, but when I'm relaxed, I do a better job. I write better on deadline when I'm relaxed. I have I'm more focused when I'm relaxed. Do you feel like you're as Do you feel like being a columnist at the Boston Herald in 2016 that you might be less relevant than you than you were 10 years ago or 15 years? Not ago? at all, because uh, it's it's always convenient to say oh, you write for a newspaper. No, but well, I, mean, you understand I write the question. I, I write for a newspaper that happens also to have a website. Right. I can I can take and we can complain about the website. That's the website game. is an issue. It's issue. It's it's iffy. And but what I can do is I can take my column mm-hmm. that I wrote. Right. I can put it on Twitter. You tweet I can it put out, it yeah. on Facebook. Right. I'm, I'm very vigilant about that. Right. And a person who might not otherwise pick up the Herald for reasons this, that, or the other thing can go to my Twitter account mm-hmm. or go to Facebook and read my column. Right. And so I'm not irrelevant at all in that. There are people who don't I, – I know I have friends who don't pick up the paper that read my column all the time because they – or acquaintances, people I see at the gym or at the coffee shop and so forth. Well, you just worry – you worry they're going to roll into the Herald one day and they're going to say, we're closing the doors in two weeks. I think anybody who works for any newspaper in America, from the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, down to the Westfield Evening News and Journal Tribune of Biddeford, Maine, I cite those because they're papers I work for. Right. Anybody who works for newspapers should have those fears. Yeah, so you have those fears. Oh, so of course I do. Well, I don't I, know. I mean, you might. If you not. work for a newspaper and you don't have a, I'll tell you what. Uh, back in 2003, yeah. Uh, and and there's a Glenn used to make fun of my Toyota Highlander, that, and and I have had the same car for 13 years. The reason I have the same car for 13 years is because when the Globe and the Herald both began doing layoffs and buyouts mm-hmm. and so forth, back in 0203, I rolled into the Herald one day and I ran into Kevin Convey, who was then the editor of the paper. Yeah. And Kevin and I had a good relationship. I was out to Kevin before I was out publicly because mm-hmm. I was telling the people in the industry, this is what I plan on doing at some point. Right. And, um, but I asked Kevin one day when they were laying people off, I said, hey, I'm safe, right? You know, hotshot columnist. I'm on TV. I'm on the yeah. big show every day. And he looked at me. He was very foreboding. And he was like, oh, nobody's safe. And like, whoa. And right. 
So the, I, I was leasing cars every three years so I could always have this really cool car. Yeah. And the lease was up. So I went out and bought a car. <laughs> and I said, I'm just going to buy a car and hold on to it in case I'm on my ass in a couple of three years. Right. Well, that was 13 years ago. So now my attitude is I play this little game. I'm about three years from getting my mortgage paid up. So I'll drive this car. It runs fine for three more years. So, so the, to answer your question... Anybody who works for a newspaper in the 21st century should should have those fears. You came out or at least concerns. January of 2011. Very good. January right? 6, 2011. I have all my friends coming out dates memorized in my brain. <laughs> they're all, Anyone they're who all comes live. out can give you the date. Well, it, I would think so. Yeah. yeah, I would think so. So was there any point in the 15 or 20 years prior to that where you were this close to doing it? Oh, totally. It was uh, during the 2003 postseason when mm-hmm. the Red Sox are playing the Yankees. Yankees I, actually, yeah. I actually did an interview with a guy for an hour and a half who was going to write it for ESPN. Who was that? I Anybody cannot remember no? his name. No. Um, it, I was put in touch with him through a mutual friend uh, who actually now works for ESPN. Why weren't you going to do it yourself? It's a good question. At the time, I didn't. I, I thought that I, I, that I was wrong. I right. should have done it myself. And, and as, as, situa- as history played out, it was the right move to make. Right. And a couple of friends of mine who are gay were saying, you should write it yourself. I didn't know how to write it. Mm-hmm. I was awkward about it. So I gave right. this interview. The problem was, was my mom, and, and this is why I am fervently opposed to outing people. Right. I think outing people is, is the most heinous thing you can do because it does not take into consideration, hey, is the person really gay? Just because you saw somebody at a gay bar. I have straight friends. I go to gay bars all the time. I agree. But uh, having said that, can you tell me two people that are gay that nobody else knows about? <laughs> Very good. <laughs> is that too much to ask? Yeah. And, Wait, so, uh, so, the, so the lead of your story is about your mom. Yes. Right. Because she, I was out to my mom. My mom couldn't, my mom was a saint. My mom when was, was a that? wonderful person. I'm sorry, when did you come out to her? Like, uh, 90s, late 90s. Okay. And, uh, but, but she didn't think I should come out publicly because... She thought it would be bad for my career. Right. And and she had, and by 2003, I was driving her to Mount Robin Hospital for radiation therapy five days a week. And mm-hmm. she, and, 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 and I did the interview and, uh, and, and what happened was, uh, I didn't do the interview, but she, she, one day she said to me, um, and looking back on it, it was clearly a case of, she was clearing the books. Right. And she said, I think you should, you come out. Obviously it's something you want to do and you have right. full support. And. So I gave the interview, and then I was going to, uh, I was going on vacation to Europe, mm-hmm. and I said, "Well, thank you." And when I get back, this is what we'll do. Right. I get back, and two days after I get back, she has this massive heart attack, mm-hmm. and I was on the big show, and I right. got a thing on the phone saying, "Go to the Mount Robin Hospital immediately." So I left the show. Mount Robin Hospital is like a mile from here. Right here, yeah. And I drove over there, and. Uh, and they were wheeling her in, and she was conscious. She was talking and so forth, and I stayed with her. All my brothers came in, my sister. I went there the next morning, and I went into the room she was in, and the room was empty. And the nurse said, well, they're just taking her to intensive care. And I why? Now, she had another heart attack. Yeah. She never came out of it. She right. died within a week, and uh, it was in December of 03. 03. And, and then the whole coming out thing, just I told the guy, I can't do the story right now. I'm just I way too much. My, my mother just died. So we're talking about seven and a half years, though. Yeah, and then I just lost interest in it. it you just, did. It just uh, and and to did you lead? Did you lead in essence a secret life? No, everybody says that. I, there's if you I mean, talk did you to have Sid, boyfriends. Yeah, and, I, 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 like I, if I, you were going out to dinner with Glenn and his wife, 
Would you no, bring your it boyfriend? wasn't to that degree. But I did have a. I, I was in a relationship for five years, and we went to the Super Bowl together in '96 when they played Green Bay. Green Bay, and we were walking around. Uh, and there's so if Glenn, so I'm sorry. So if whoever, if I somebody asked you, you know, are you gay or, or do you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend? Would you have been honest with them if you knew them well, or were you? Yeah, I was. I, I had a policy where, well, first of all, policy number one was, and, and it's, it's a little play on words. I didn't want to be in the closet in my kitchen. Right. In other words, if I invited you into my house, it You're means gonna... I was comfortable with you, and so right. I didn't want to run around hiding copies of you know Out magazine or something. Right. Um, but. Sid Ziegler, who's at OutSports.com, yeah. you guys have had him on the show. There's a term he uses. It's publicly out as opposed to being openly gay. Now, I was openly gay to the degree that I had friends that were gay, and I was out to my select circle of friends. It's almost like a Jodie Foster kind of thing for a while. Yeah, right. but I wasn't publicly out. Right. And, but in, and within your— And, and, and right. people—you would occasionally get emails and, and so forth. Hey, I know you're a fag and stuff like right. that. I always—just uh, since I knew this would come up. Like this is just, I still get this stuff once in a while, like like that came in the mail. Recent, <laughs> and it's and, and it and, says Buckley, you fucking queer. Yeah, so yeah, so I can laugh at that now and show it to friends at parties and stuff. But you would get I, something like that in nineteen whatever nineteen ninety seven. It would it would keep me up all night. Yeah. How long? How long did a certain um, that world know about you being like? How how long have you been getting anti gay mail for? Um, Twenty years? No, no, no. Because, I mean, who who gave a shit when I was? Still, no, I know, but I'm just when, saying when I was. But two thousand five, you were getting it. Uh, two thousand. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, totally. Uh, I, it, so how did you was, lose interest? It wasn't a well, poor choice of words. Um, in '04, the Patriots went to the Super Bowl and right. won. Sox won the World Series in 04. Mm-hmm. Patriots won another Super Bowl. Sox, all of a sudden, right, it takes off. You know that from Celtics October good, yeah. from October of '99 to January of 02, two years, two months, and thirteen days, or something like that. Mm-hmm. None of the four teams played a single playoff game. All of a sudden, the decade of dominance. Game five, ALCS, Yankees beat the Red Sox. There was not a single playoff game played in this market right. until the snow game, right. the tuck rule game. Right. That's right. The Celtics sucked. The Bruins were terrible. And yeah, yeah. Um, and and so my career is 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 really there's all of a sudden there's World Series, there's Super Bowls, there's this, and and it wasn't like I, I lost interest. It's just that you wrote it a was, book too, right? Was, I wrote two books in yeah. that period, and it was sort of on the back burner, and then it just got to the point where um, everybody knew, right. And uh, and I I honestly thought I mean so many people, so many people for so many years were heroic in terms of you know fighting the fight going all the way back to Stonewall in 1969. Right. Before right. that, the Mattachine Society stuff that a lot of people don't know about, and uh, and the whole AIDS thing in the early 80s and uh, the marches on Washington and the AIDS quilt and all that. I didn't contribute anything to that. Right. And those those people made it easier for me. Yet there was re- yet sports. I- I've considered sports the last frontier. Uh, very few people were out in any you know, be it management and sports, umpires, players, media, talk show hosts, and uh, well, even yeah, we're sitting here today in in well, it'll be June of 2016 when this is run. And if you're 22 or 23, maybe even you're listening to this, even 2011 where there have been huge leaps. Yeah, the leap from 2011 to 2016 is. Massive. It's huge. I mean, back, you know, if somebody came out today, a sports writer, 
You'd say, oh, okay, well, you know, yeah. you, but in 2011, maybe it's because I knew you too, I guess, and it was in Boston. It was a big deal. Yeah. You it know was, I mean? I mean it, it's changed a lot even since then. Yeah. No, it was, uh, it, it was, it was more than I thought it would be. Uh, I did go to counseling down in GLAD, down in New York. Yeah. Uh, they have a guy whose job down there is to work with public people mm-hmm. on coming out. Right. And... One of the fascinating things he said is that our experience is is that is that if you decide to come out, we believe your career will not change. You will not become a movie star. You will not end up right. the host of the Tonight Show. Right. But you won't really suffer for it either. And that our experience has been is, is that you'll be really busy for a couple of weeks, and then unless you do something crazy like jump off a bridge no, or something, a lot of- things will go back to normal. Yeah. That's pretty much what happened to me. Right. Things, it was really. You didn't think that you were going to get, you didn't think your career was going to be in any trouble by doing that. No, no, you don't. But you, but there there is a fear of the unknown. Yeah. And, uh, and it, it it was very stressful for a couple of days. Um, Very humorous in some respects. I always. Was it done? It was a column done way before. It was done a couple of weeks before. Yeah. uh, How many people saw it? What's that? How many people saw it before you. There's a guy named John Shear, uh, Mm -hmm. who was an editor at ESPN, the magazine. And is now like one of their leading guys on the digital side yeah, in ESPN. Uh, I'm going to out John. John's gay. John John was an editor at Baseball America back in the 80s. And mm-hmm. we were very, very close friends. And he's one of the best editors with whom I've ever worked because he used to edit my stuff at Baseball America. So I, um, I sent the column to him. He made some tweaks. Uh, and then Hank Hernowitz, who was yep. then the sports editor at the Herald, is a really good, Great guy, yeah. really good editor, too. Uh, he called up and said, why don't you do this instead of that? Uh, so it was, it was mainly Hank and John Shear. And then I, um, by then Joe Shaka was the editor, and I, I I was out to Hank, I was out to Kevin Convey, and then Hank went to Joe. And I had lunch one, it was during the bye week before the Patriots lost to the Jets in the playoffs. Yeah. And uh, remember they, they really annihilated them on Monday, Monday Night Football. Night, yeah. And then they lose at home, forty-five to three or something. Yeah, and um, and so I had had dinner with Glenn Ordway mm-hmm. at Davio's and said, "Listen, this is what I'm going to do," and so forth. And um, so I had lunch with Joe Shocker, and I said, and I had the phone. I emailed it to myself, so all I had to do was open my phone and just forward the email. Yeah, and uh, Hank had seen it, and obviously John had seen it, and uh, Joe Shocker had not seen it. So I had lunch with him on a Tuesday or Wednesday, whatever it was. And um, so I said, I think I'm ready to do this. And I called Glenn. And Glenn, I said, it was Wednesday. Mm-hmm. So I said, and the, and the deal was I would go on the big, big show, show for, for right. four hours. And thank God Rob Bradford was there because he really I always just, say that. What's that? I always say that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I said, we're going to run the column either tomorrow or Friday. What works best for you? Glenn says, I'd rather you do it tomorrow because we have Patriots Friday. Glenn was always thinking himself. Right. And uh, we have Patriots Friday. You know, Belichick's on and all that. Right. If we run it tomorrow, it, it's an easier show for yeah, me to program. It makes a show for him. And, yeah, so all he has to do is show up, and I'd be gay for four hours. Correct. And uh, so sitting at, um, at at a restaurant somewhere in the back bay, um, uh, I emailed the column to Joe Shaka, took the subway, took the tea home, had some friends over that night, and it went online at right around midnight, and that's yeah. when my phone started going nuts. I always had when I first read it, and I, you know, we had known each other for a few years. I had heard rumors, I guess, like everybody had. 
I always had this image of you, like, when I read the show, I was like, you know, I was like, I almost felt bad for Buck because I thought you lived this life in the 80s and the 90s where you'd go on a road trip to Minneapolis and all the guys would go and try and pick up chicks and you were, you know, (laughs) in the seedy underworld. Like, there was, I I always felt, you know, but that's not, that's not reality, right? No. No. I was, um, well, first of all, I, I quit drinking. Yeah. And, and, and that changed everything. I quit drinking um, during spring training in 1989. And not because I had a drinking problem, but I was getting one. My brother, Paul, mm-hmm. was yeah, – I don't talk about this a lot, but he was killed in a car accident. Yeah. Uh, on the day I flew to spring training in 1988, I was covering the Yankees for the Hartford mm-hmm. Current. I got off the plane in Fort Lauderdale, went to pick up my rental car, and there was a message to call the office – I called the. I'll spare you all the details, but my yeah. brother died in a yeah. car accident, and it was a horrific accident. He was driving in the Mass Turnpike, a trailer truck traveling eastbound had a blown tire. Oh Jesus! And the tire went across the median, struck <clears throat> the car. My brother was. Your younger brother? Oh, I'm sorry. Your younger brother or older my older brother? brother. Yeah. How old was he when he died? Uh, he was 34. Jesus. Yeah. Boys. And I adored Ugh. my older brother. Right. He he was such a mentor to me because my father had died at 15, mm-hmm. and um, so I drank a lot. During '88, I was going out with Billy Martin, if you can believe that. Oh, Billy was the Yankees, manager yeah, of the Yankees, right. and Billy was told that, "Hey, the new guy, his brother died." So he was so kind to me in spring training, and he and he. I remember one day in Milwaukee, he knew I was going to fly home after the game because I had seen him in the Fister that morning, and he said, "Hey, you're taking the charter to Minneapolis?" I said, "No, I'm driving home to see my brother's kids," and he gave me two dozen baseballs in the clubhouse in front of like 20 writers, and and every once in a while I would have not just me, but. Michael Kay, right. Michael Martinez from the Times, and Billy had the old Casey Stengel thing. These are my writers. And, right. And um, every once in a while, some of the writers and his coaches, George Mitterwald, Art Fowler. Uh, right. <clears throat> and um, But I drank a lot that year. So the next year in spring training, I was covering the Red Sox now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I decided on Ash Wednesday I would give up drinking for Lent. And I'm not as much a practicing – I'm not a practicing Catholic anymore, but – I always had to give up something for Lent growing up, and I decided to latch on to my Catholicism. Right. I still believe in God. I, all that. I just, I just, I just became a lapsed Catholic. But I gave up beer for Lent in 1989. Easter Sunday arrived. I never had another drink. Never drank again. Never. Ever. And, ever have the urge now or no? No. Not no. At all. Not even a no. I have. I, if you came to my house, there's beer, there's wine, there's right. stuff. And you know liquor and stuff. Hey, you want a you want a beer? Have a cold? Have a brewski. Um, <clears throat> and so once I stopped drinking, I ramped up my running, mm-hmm. and I, I wasn't going out with the boys as much. And uh, I I found cool things to do. I started going to theater on the road. If I had a Monday night free in Cleveland yeah. or something, I'd go to see some touring show. Smashing those stereotypes down one at a time. Oh yeah, no, that's one that definitely applies to me. It's I love stuck. theater. Yeah. yeah. I my my decorative my decorating skills suck. Was there a was there I mean that's sort of so you were you, know, you were young and gay and virile yeah. and active in the scariest time in recorded history to be sure. sexually to be gay and, yeah. and young. And, well no because I I um I I came to that late. And uh and by the by the time I started uh dipping my big toe into the gay community if you right, will. Right. Right. The rules had been posted on the on the scoreboard. Like you, you knew ever, you knew the deal. I knew the deal. And um, did you date girls in college? Yeah. and post college. Yep. And yep. when did you stop doing that? When did mid twenties, mid to late twenties. Did you know it was bullshit, or were you confused, or was, was it confused? Yeah, yeah. And you're the only person that's ever asked me all that. So good for you. Um, 
but I had a uh, I had a friend in college yeah. that 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 was gay, mm-hmm. and we had an he was across the hall. We had an instant liking for each other, right? And we used to hang out all the time. Yeah, and this is UMass, and <clears throat> I wasn't ready for that yet. We never talked about. It. We never. We used to hang out all the time. But did you but not? Did, were you confused? Like, sorry, before were you confused? It was like in high was, school and junior high. Yeah, when not did you really. Start? But no? I mean, it was it was it was rattling around. I mean, there was, was no like for me in. There was no Phoebe Cates for you in high school. No. There was no male. Like, there was no guy you looked <laughs> at some really. movie star and you were like, no? No. So, all right. So, and, you uh, mask. Go ahead. And um, so, so Rick was smarter than me, more mature than me. And uh, and by the next year, he had moved to a different part of campus. And I could see he was hanging out with gay guys. And yeah. So, but my point being is is that that lovely, sweet guy died of AIDS. Mm-hmm. And he paid a terrible price for the lack of knowledge he would have had back in the 70s. Right. Well, I wasn't ready to do that then. Yeah. And so by the time I was ready, we knew what was going on. Right. You know, as Randy Schultz has written so eloquently. You know, yeah. Band played on. Band played on. And um, so so I was, my, my immaturity and uncertainty and whatever you want to call it, lucky. made me the unwitting beneficiary, uh, which is why I'm 60 years old and sitting here talking to you right now. How often do you talk to... Man, how, how often will you talk to somebody who calls you up and says, uh, somebody gives you the number, you know, if I, if I was say I had a friend, right, who was uh, <clears throat> confused or whatever, and I knew this person, and I'd say, well, call Buck, you know, I, I mean, I wouldn't do that necessarily, but does that happen? <laughs> I mean, I, you know what I mean? I don't, yeah, that does happen. I mean, it's sort of uh, forward for me to do it's that. It's more email than anything else. Yeah, but it happens uh, a lot. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't say it, it happened a lot at first in 11, 12, and 13. Yeah. Not so much now, but well, I just, still get right. um there, there have been a few occasions where somebody wanted to talk to me in some pretense, right? And then they bowled me over with the, the gay thing. Like, whoa, I didn't right. see that coming. Some of the emails I got when I first came out were heartbreaking because there, there was one guy in particular. You know, he's been married for fifteen years, and my wife and I were like roommates. We never talk. Yeah, we never. You know, and and I can't come out because I've got kids, and and and. Uh, and so I call that living your life by other people's right. rules, which also takes us back to why outing is such a terrible thing. But you can say now that was Jerry Callahan. That was <laughs> that's okay. You can, we've 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 kept the secret and, uh, long enough. I got to tell you, I have not met your bride. I I have met yeah. Jerry's wife on a number of. Oh, occasions. she's awesome, and she's like the greatest of all time. Fantastic. And uh, I I saw her in spring training. I saw mm-hmm. her at Jerry's father's wake. That's the last yeah. two times I've seen her in recent right. years. She's a saint. But she is oh, she is the best. And, well, Jerry uh, loves you, though you know that. I like Jerry. Yeah, and and, and it's. I'm glad you brought that up because when um, when I did come out, one of the questions I kept getting asked was, "Oh, well, Jerry Cowan is a racist and he's a homophobe." No, bullshit. Jerry is one of the most honest people I've ever met in my life. Right. And <clears throat> I've, I've said that behind his back. I've said it to him. I've said it on the air. I've said it off the air. I've known Jerry for 30 years. I've known Jerry when he was at the Lowell Sun. Right. And in a world where so much is said behind people's backs. And I always have this joke. Who's the worst sports writer in Boston? The worst sports writer in Boston is the one who isn't currently in the room at the time. That is true. That is you true. Follow me? Yes, that is definitely true. And and I've been saying that for years. You can be sitting in the room and, and then you, you 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 leave to go downstairs right. and get a Coke or something and all of a sudden the wheel pa- the wallpaper is being peeled off with, you know, the commentary. Uh Jerry Jerry's Jerry. Uh I do think he's evolved. He has, uh, and that's okay. And I'm a big history buff, and and 
you know, go back and read, you know, Harry Truman back in the early sure. part of his life. He was a borderline Klansman. It was Harry Truman who desegregated the military. Right. Go back and read the Lincoln-Douglas debates. Yep. Lincoln, Lincoln made statements that by today's standards are clearly racist. Yet he's the guy that pushed through the 13th Amendment that abolished slavery. Well, I mean, you read things about LBJ and he would be oh, dropping the yeah. N-word left and right. But exactly. he got the Civil Rights Act passed. Yeah, 1964 Civil Rights Act. And uh, I just watched that the other night. Uh, yeah, it, was all all right. way. it was all right. A little, too on the, the, a little too on the nose for me. On you know, the nose? Yeah, one is like every scene is a big scene, you know. Like, <laughs> like he never really just sits around the office. I, I did. I did tell you that. I, I did say before I watched it that you know he's going to be taking a dump, right? And, uh, because because that's that's right. what we've heard. Right. That he was going to pick up the dog by the ears. Right. There was there were certain LBJ hit points. Right. That they covered. Yes. Because they felt they had to. They had to. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't know that he did it in front of Humphrey, by the way. But that's cool. Um. Do you? So you were on the big show forever. You filled in here a lot. Right. But lately, I haven't heard a lot of Steve Buckley on WEI. No. What's going on? I the, the phone stopped ringing. Why? I have no idea. You have? I know you have theories. We've talked about it. Um, my theories are that they decided they wanted to put other people on the air. Um, but again, that goes right back to Glenn firing me back in 1995. Yeah. And me ended up doing me ending up with 15 years on the big show yeah. as one of the prominent co-hosts. So I, I'm not going to lob hand grenades at WEI um, because things are cyclical. Things will turn around. If I, if I, if I have I should, a meltdown. I should really have your attitude. What's that? I should really have your attitude. No, it's, it, it, it's just common sense. Well, I know that, but now, you know. Now, if you want to get into the nitty-gritty, Phil and I are good friends. Phil Zachary's the Phil Zachary. VP here. And, and and the reason Phil and I are good friends, it's it's a very strange story. Because you're trying to get on the air more. <clears throat> no. no. Well, I, I would love to be up. back in the air. I'm not going to hide from that. And Nor am I going to. up to management. That's, no, that's a no, good it's a true story. What happened was I do diversity speaking. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, for fun and profit. Ernst & Young invited me to speak to its employee base mm-hmm. one night a couple years ago. I took the tea in. I spoke at the event. I had dinner with one of your people. Do you have a basic stump? Do you have a basic yeah, set speech for this? Yeah, it's Harry Truman Whistle Stop campaign, you know. <laughs> right. And, um, and I'm walking by Davio's. Now, you know Glenn Big Shot has his own table of course, there yes. by the window because he's friends with Steve DeFilippo. As I'm walking by, I say to myself, geez, that's the table where I came out to Glenn. Mm-hmm. And I look there, and who's sitting there but Glenn? Right. And I'm like, what a coincidence. And Glenn waves me in, and then it's Phil Zachary, who right. I'd never met. Mm-hmm. And and Phil and I hit it off, and Phil lives near me, and we, we have dinner once in a while. And Phil and I have a great relationship. You never talk about why am I not on the shows more, why am I not on the weekends? Because he's not, not the program director. That's his answer. Kevin Graham's the program director. Kevin, Kevin could put me on the air tomorrow. Kevin has chosen to put other people on the air. That's Kevin's business. Does it frustrate you? Of course it do frustrates me. you hear it and me. say, this guy, I'm better than this guy? I do it all the time. Yes. Like who? <laughs> Why say guys say names? That's your choice. And um, the relationships I have with people are based on. You can just how say they... Tangway. <laughs> you can just say it. I thought that when I was doing the morning show with you guys, I was awesome because I provided a balance to what you guys were saying. With me and Tangway, uh, or who? You, you or Jerry, or Dino, whoever. Jerry, any combination thereof. Right. Um, no, G- Gary has made a choice to be bombastic. Yes, it's manufactured. Correct? Um, I, uh, 
Did you ever hear his Patriots pregame shows? Well, here's the thing, though. Yes, yes. Well, but was that manufactured? Oh, and is I this see. reality? So you say he's really evil, and he well, he's was evil. hiding I don't it think before. He comes across like evil on the air. I think yes. he comes across like you've been with him five million times yes. in the green room. That doesn't sound right, but you know what I mean. You've been, <laughs> you've, you've you've talked to him. We you don't know, talk about that. You know, there are, there are I, limits I to what we're going to be candid about here. Okay, pal. Um, oh boy, he's not your type, is he? He's not my type. No, good God, good God Almighty. But uh, but I'm you know off the air. He's sort of like he is on the air now. I th- I always thought that was closer than than the than the craft sucking up stooge on ninety eight five. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't All know. Right, well, but you're right. He's whatever this is. He's embraced it and he's yes. run with it. Is there a shelf life to it? Maybe. Maybe there's something to. You. I mean, I shelf life to you too, pal. So no, absolutely. It. There's a shelf life to me. You, you think there is? You could tone it down. So I've had to turn you off a few times. Really? Like and when? you know that I like you, right? I think we get along pretty well, and uh, and I've done radio with you, and and I touched on it before. You went off on Dupont once. Dupont is not a bad writer; uh, he's, he's a very good he's writer, a shitty writer. Now, and when now, I got in trouble a couple of years ago, now wait a minute, he tried hold on. To get me, well, can, can you, you, you sure, bring him ahead. up? He tried to get me fired publicly on Twitter. He tried to get me in more trouble. Right. Tried to stir shit up. So fuck him. What, what am I ball. supposed to do? Like like the guy? How no. would you feel about it? No, what you are doing, and this is what I he writes I'm about gonna, Cracker Jacks and. Now, see, that I don't have a problem with. I want to see. See, the thing is, you can only, when you do a radio show, mm-hmm. oh, go ahead. and I learned this from Glenn. Yeah. When UMass went to the national championship game in 1AA football <clears> back <throat> in 03 or whatever right, right, it was, right, right. Yeah, yeah. I wanted, because Don Brown, who was then the coach, he was a coordinator at BC. Now he's at Michigan. You wrote about him? Uh, what's that? You wrote about him? Well, no, but I did. But my yeah. point was, I went out to see Don Brown and write a column. Yeah. Don Brown was the biggest big show fan on the planet. Yeah. He used to sit in his car after practice and listen to the wine. He wanted to come on. And he wanted to come on. Nobody wants to hear him. And I said, I put him off for 10, 15 minutes. And what Glenn taught me was it's not a newspaper. You can run 50 different newspaper Correct. stories. And you can turn the pages yeah, and nobody, find the story. Right. But you can only talk about one thing at one right. time. The guy in the car is not wanting to hear Don Brown. And if you put Don Brown on for even 10 minutes, Death. it's an invitation to turn to the other station. Correct. What is your point? My point is I had no problem with the Cracker Jack story because it's one story. I would not listen to you guys talk about Cracker Jacks for half an hour. Right. But if I'm turning the pages, I want to see diversity. I want to see different things. What he's doing with that column, and it's well-written, by the way. The Cracker Jack column? Yes, it's well-written. You read the whole Cracker Jack column. I did read the whole That's thing. That's not true. Go ahead. Well, okay. And uh, I don't believe you. Okay, fine. And Agreed this I want to see some. I want to see some different things in the paper. Now- Here's where I'm going to defend you. Thank you. Kevin DuPont works for The Globe. Mm-hmm. Okay. Kevin DuPont's the, one of their best-known writers of all time was Will McDonough. Right. Will McDonough has passed away, and, and I'm not going to beat up Will because he's not here to defend himself, but Bob Ryan was always fond of saying the reason Willie will never retire is he has his column to reward his friends and punish his enemies, mm-hmm. which he did with aplomb for many years. Sure. And I so read it all he, the time. He can take that column. And who, who am I going to punish and reward this week? I like that, though. I'm simply saying yeah. that this is precisely what you do. What do you mean? You are using your pulpit at WEI to reward your friends and punish your enemies. Oh. I guess that's true. Well, it's entirely true. I there, think there's some accuracy me, don't, to don't, that. It's, it's 100% I reckon, accurate. I recognize the thought. So you, you reward Rob. But isn't that part of the job? Because he's your, How do I reward you, you, Rob? You're taking it as a criticism. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm saying I, I think you're absolutely right. But where am I so, rewarding Rob? What have I done for Rob? 
you 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 smooth the way for Rob all the time. Because <laughs> he's me your, one is, he, is he your well? That you you. He's my son's godfather. Right. Yes. Okay. So, so what? Thanks for making the point so easily. I'm trying to help you out. I ask you. I ask you if you had a problem with him with Joe Kelly and doing. I the told suit you. Guy. I would. And you, but you hemmed and hawed and. and I kind of don't like it. And your point is, and, if, it was, if it was Kevin Paul Dupont with a player, I'd go. I'd go nuts. That's my point. Totally accurate criticism. And and but so you're right. So you were using your pulpit. Yeah. To punish Kevin DuPont for a slight. It's Kevin Paul DuPont. Kevin Paul DuPont. When he wrote for the Herald, he was Kevin DuPont. It was, actually. Right. It's, it's different when you go to the Globe. Uh, Lee, Lee Monfo used to joke about that all the time. And, you it's know, a douchey Lee, move. Lee has the squeaky voice. Yeah. I liked him better when he was just Kevin DuPont. <laughs> I think it was actually, did. it was the New York Times. He went to the Times oh, before okay, the Globe. Right, That's right, where yeah. the Kevin Paul thing. Um, Kevin's a great guy. Wonderful. He's a wonderful writer, great guy, and he's one of my favorite people on the planet. Mm-hmm. And and if you if my you want to love him because if, they, if, they if you want to if you want to beat him up, you go ahead. Well, you would if I'm you not, were me. If you want to beat him up, go ahead. Your house, your rules. Anyway, but that's but they, but they, you're making it sound like that, that that I'm doing this because I'm some radio madman or something. You know me, but well you are a radio madman. You know me but well. I go back to, to my original statement. You are using your column as Will did his. To reward your friends. Who doesn't do that on the radio? That is my point. And this is why I'm not in a snit. I'm not saying saying we're disagreeing. If you want to go after Kevin DuPont, have at it, pal. Right. But But, he's a great guy. But I don't agree with it. You don't agree that he tried. I could sit here with a legal pad from 6 a.m. to midnight. Yeah. And keep a running score, agree, disagree with everything he said. And I'd go through 30 legal pads. I do that. (laughs) <laughs> I do, I've told you the story when I got suspended a couple of years ago, which I deserved. I went up to the to upstairs in Maine and made a list of, like Nixon, made a list of my enemies and swore that one, you know, one by one, I was going to get them eventually. And how's that working out? Slowly, very slowly. I learned dealing with you in the past that there is no such thing as off the record. There's no such thing as a corner discussion. Uh, everything. Well, you told and, me you were gay 20 years ago. I never told anybody. <laughs> I was talking about DJ because I... Uh, I didn't know what a loose cannon you were yet, but you went nuts on DJ because of some perceived slight. Same thing. And, no, and I like DJ. Not perceived. And I thought it was real. I didn't think it was you just being a lunatic, but I thought it was real. And I thought that, I, hey, I'll have you. Oh, this was the summit. Yeah, I thought I'd have right. you over. I was going to cook steaks. Right. And I called you up and I called DJ up. Yeah. And then you did a 45-minute rant on no, me not, the next day. Not, that's not true. Because cause I dared to call you and invite you over. You didn't say it was steaks. off the record. I just assumed it was. Maybe, really? I, maybe I should have posted that beforehand. <clears throat> well, we did our first show together, shit, seven years ago? Maybe yeah. We filled in for Mikey. Yes. And I sat in the- It was the best show in that time slot in years. No question. I sat in the rider seat. <laughs> and we didn't know each other at all. Maybe we had right. met at some event or something. And it was great. We've always- We've never had a- I don't think we've ever had a problem. Um, no. I've had no Do you personal- want to hear any grievances now? No? No. The, the one issue I have with you, and it's, a, it's so tiny, is, is that in spring training, you came up to me in the press box- and and you made some comment about the globe seized the day on the on the photo of Pablo Sandoval with his belly hanging out. Harold ran the same photo. You oh, just didn't. Yeah, you just didn't know, happen didn't to see it. I don't think. And you didn't see it. And you said, "No, globe globe took the day." And I said, "No, because as much as you rail against the globe, I hate the globe." You well, except that you went to their website or a paper or hard copy that day. No, and somebody, saw it. you know how it is. Somebody put it in my hands. Right, and you claim that the that the Herald didn't have the photo, which it did. That's the best you got. That that's my that's my that's my point. Right, well, my who, point being, I, I wait a minute. Hold on. Go ahead. You're right. You're right. As a precursor, of what I was about to say, I yeah. said I have no problems with you. Well, this is picking you, but and that's I was smart. searching for something. That's what right. I'm saying. So, I don't have problems with you. Right. 
No, yeah, we get along you're, great. You're enormously entertaining on the radio, and you, you've really <clears throat> awakened that show. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Go ahead. In, in, you certainly are a different presence than Mita was. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, you and, wrote the story with John. You wrote I did. The, you, how did you feel about doing that? That was a weird day because- well, you had something was, else going on. No, that was a crazy day. I was in my car. I was driving up to Bill Which Ricca- I talked to you that day, yeah. To interview the dentist who is replacing Dick Hoyt. Who I'm running Hoyt. with next year, Brian Lyons. Oh, you know Brian. I know Brian. I'm running on the team next year. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, he's a great guy. So I'm going to, so he's like, I can, I can fit you in between like 9.30 and 10 because he's, he's a dentist. Right. And I'm driving up to interview him and then I hear that the jury from Aaron Hernandez is coming in. Ah, uh, that's the day. Right, right, right. And I called up Sean Lay, who's the sports editor at the Herald, and the deal was I would stop everything and write a column on Aaron Hernandez when the yeah. jury came in. And I said, listen, this guy is a dentist, and he's got patience, and I got I can't, you know. Yeah. And he said, no, 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 go do that, and then as soon as you get done, call me back. So I go in there, interview Brian, who you know, is a lovely guy. Yeah, very nice. And while I'm talking to him, I get a tweet on my phone saying that Shirelli's being fired. And so I come, I come out of that, and I call up Sean, and he said, look, we've got uh, 10 people writing on a hearing Would you mind writing a Shirelli column? I said, no. There's a press conference. I'm going to drive into Boston, grab lunch, and then go to the Shirelli press conference. While I'm driving into that, Dino calls, and he says, I got something important I want to talk to you about. So I, go, I pull the car over. And, and, well, how often do you talk to him? Once in a while. Really? Yeah. More than I do. And um, Well, that's your thing. Yeah. And no, I understand. So he wants to do this. So, so now... I, I call up Sean and I say, Dino's got a pretty important story. He's going to take a sabbatical from EEI mm-hmm. uh, to deal with substance abuse issues and so forth. I think it's a pretty significant story. And he wants to give me this story. And uh, and he says, oh, great. I says, can you do, still do Shirelli? Go, oh, boy. So, um, and I'm a fat cat columnist. You write one column a day and then right. you go running. And uh, so I rush into the Shirelli press conference and I'm – and and they're talking smack at this thing. They, yeah. You know, Charlie Jacobs and and Kim, they're all up there. So I, I said to Charlie, so why is Charlie being fired? Oh, that was that day. <laughs> right, right. And he right. says, well, you know, at the end of any season, you're always looking to improve and blah mm-hmm. blah 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 blah. And I gotta I gotta go write two columns now. I haven't got time, but I said you could have said that. You could have won the Stanley Cup and said that. Right. Why are you firing him? And then, well, you know, and, and, and then I said, why are you firing Peter Shirelli? Right. And that's when he memorably turned to, you know, how can you help me out like in a few right. good men? Because you were on, t- yeah. you on, com- were you on Comcast that night? I was later on. Because we were on with yeah. us. You were on that. Yeah. Right, right, right. And uh, I used to do Comcast. And so then I had to rush home and write the Dino column and the Shirelli column. So, a story like that with Dino, do you, is it hard to... Make an opinion story almost has to be. I wrote from, it newsy. From his perspective. I wrote it from right? his perspective. But I did say uh, I, he said he only had two drinks. That's what I mean. That, that's but I said. But I wrote. If you read it, I wrote. He said he only. He had said. Two that's drinks. what I mean. So you have yeah, to take. So it there's from a lot that. of attribution going on there, and um, and like I said, I, I I think that people who know that I don't drink think I had this big crisis in my life and that I saw God right. and but not really. And no, I just stopped drinking. Yeah, I can't explain how it happened. Right. Uh, I had one year in my life where I started to drink a lot, and I'm really vain about being heavy. Yeah. And and it goes back to that first time in the press box. Everybody seemed like they were. And as I got into my 30s, I was starting to get a gut. So that's why I stopped drinking. 
it wasn't because I was down in the gutter and, and you know, it was just like vanity. Ronald Reagan and that Grover Cleveland Alexander story where, you know, you're just falling <laughs> there, down. There, there you go, Buck. And uh, that's for you. Yeah. And uh, so I, I think there are people who think I overcame my demons. No, right. I overcame my beer gut is what I did. Well, I just stopped. I wasn't an everyday drinker, but I could never have one drink. Ever, I would have. I to couldn't have either. Ten no, or fifteen, it was, it was, and it would it get was, to a blackout was, or to a yeah, zero beers or ten peeing beers. and just in weird places. What was your and, alcohol and, choice? I would drink. Uh, I wouldn't drink a lot of beer. I was never a big beer drinker. That's I would, all I ever drank. I would drink uh, a drink that was actually called a screaming Nazi, which was a mix of Rumplemints <laughs> and Jägermeister, hundred proof. I was going to call it the Donald Trump special, <laughs> yes, but I know you guys, yes, yes. you guys are down on the Nazi comparisons. I That's probably to your true. Show. But uh, but I, I would have two or three of them. I'd be gone, and I'd have seven or eight more and then I'd be hung over for two days and eventually I just said screw it you know life's too yep. short I can't do it and there's alcoholism all over my family and I don't think I was as bad off as some we had that were. on my mother's side yeah so I just said let's let's cut Though this cord not my mother I should put right. cut this cord right now and be done with it are you gonna so you're 60 now yes you're writing at the Herald yes do you have an end date no you don't. Would you no. write to your 85? Are you one of those guys? Yeah, I don't think I'll be able to. But, uh, you know what I mean? Would you do I, it? I, I, 70 is a good time for me. I'd like to keep doing it because... Um, Could you retire today? Uh, no. Maybe in two or three years. Yeah. Uh, I'm, you're talking about financially? Yeah. Could you just yeah, walk away? I, if I had to, I could. Yeah. I've been pretty good with money. Um, I'm not a... Uh, I, I got really lucky when I bought my house. I yeah. bought it when they, you could buy them by the dozen. Right. And... Um, Everyone knows I live in Davis Square, so I don't think that's a big secret. And I, I was so lucky. Davis Square was a honky tonk back then. Right. It was like literally within six months after I moved Exploded. in, it, it went nuts. Yeah. Houses go for a, a buck and a half now in my right. neighborhood, and I could never afford to live there now. Uh, so no, I if I had to, I could. Three or four years. But you it, like it, it though. You 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 like it. You no, like, I love it. You like being in the mix. Yes. Like, I don't. You're like sort of like Ryan in that. In that. I regard. love it. I love it. I love. I mean, witness what has happened in this market since the Tuck game, which was the first playoff game. Right. As we talked about, there's nine championships. There's the Celtics losing in the finals. The Bruins losing in the finals. The Patriots losing in the Super Bowl. And there's been so much. And it's not just the the, the championships. It's the stories. The stories that have come out of all this and the relationships that I've built with certain athletes over the years. I have a great relationship with Schilling. Uh, I, the transgender thing was a, was a catastrophe for him, and I call him out on it. Right. Um, David Ortiz and that, that David Ortiz and I went two years without talking, mm-hmm. and we had an argument in the dugout in Toronto once that was so heated. That Francona later said he thought we were playing around. Right. It was like the Earl Weaver, Ron yeah, Luciano yeah, yeah. with the cap on backwards <clears throat> right. stuff. And uh, where he won me over was the speech he made that day at Fenway Park. Because I, I want you to know that, that, not to make this about me, but the marathon bombing is in 2013. Mm-hmm. And you guys were so good with bombing and all that. Yeah. That that touched me deeply. Sure. Those two guys went to my high school. They lived on the street my father lived oh, on. Oh, sure. Right, 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 right. And I vowed that night I was going to run the marathon again. I was done with the marathon. I had done my one marathon. I ran the next year for ALS for Pete Frady's. Mm-hmm. Be- not because of Pete. I just needed a vehicle. I sure. ran because of those those assholes. Yeah. And I get emotional. Because like, I love the marathon more than I can possibly explain. I used to get autographs of marathoners when I was a kid. Yeah. That's how much I love the marathon. Well, now it's just turned into something else now. 
and it's become it's be, it's become a, a, a statement that we right. move on Correct. and that we celebrate life. We did the shows, like you said, we did the shows a couple of weeks after, and we just were operating on the assumption that they weren't going to be able to do it anymore. Yeah, or they were going to close it to the public, and instead it was this great fuck you to all yeah. these people. We're going to do it our way, which is now it's become correct a statement. And 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 the, and the beauty of it is that it's like thirty different sporting events in one. You can focus on the elite runners and yeah, I don't even care and, about and, them. Right, it's guys like know, us exactly. Yeah. And uh, the 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 true beauty of the marathon is is seeing. Like the the day that you finished a couple of years ago, I happened to run You're into the first you. person. I I, I was going to tell the story. I, I ran the marathon. The first, literally, the first person you see after you get your medal and you walk. Yeah. It's kind of a long walk when you when you're done and you're uh, and you're sore. You know, you're happy. Oh yeah, yeah. You're ready to collapse. All emotional yeah. and you're happy and you're sad and you just want to sit down. And the first person I see is you, and you're like, hey, hey. And boom, you take a picture, and then th- that was it. Well, I also hugged you. And the next you day, did. you in in, in re- retelling that story, you said, "Buck Sami, hug me." And and you kind of said it with like, I didn't goose you or anything. I I just gave you a, See, I, a the, the right hand was a little lower than it should have been. <laughs> I was in prime running shape at that point. <laughs> You're only human, Buck. And uh, no, I, what can I say? <laughs> yeah. And uh, I love the marathon. It's the it, greatest. It's uh, and Dave McGilvery is a good buddy of mine. Yeah. We have uh, we have lunch two or three times a year. So you're gonna run another one then. I can't. My, you my hip is right. fixed. And you're gonna run another one. Yeah, I I, I wanted to run sixty because I turned sixty two years. I remember that you wanted to do it right. And uh, Dave is getting on me to do another one. And uh, his ex-wife, Sue Hurley, you know, charityteams.org, yeah. is is a really good buddy of mine. And there there are so many people that have run the marathon that, are, that uh, you know, John Young? Mm-hmm. Of course, and, yeah. And uh, uh, I once did a practice for him uh, in a big group that he was in. Yeah. And he's Canadian. Right. And and he always says he's Canadian with an A, not not with an E. Right. Because I always joke about how the Canadians are all floppers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he he was running about 100 feet in front of me, and I went up and I hip checked him into a snowbank oh, just to see if he'd fall down. Right. And it sounds like the meanest thing you can do is hip check a little person yes. into a snowbank. But if you understand our relationship, yeah, we still, we still, he, and he can take shit and give it out. Too. And he can take shit and give it out. And, and uh, he is becoming one of our. Like Johnny Kelly, iconic marathon. The weight, uh, the definitely. Hoyts. It's a moment when you see him, yeah. And 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 for those who you don't know, he's he's a dwarf, and, um, and his backstory is unbelievable. And his backstory is unbelievable. And the doctors said, no, little people don't run. You can't run or ruin right. your spine. Right. And there he is, and and he is he is such an important person in the running community. It's no question. Funny. No question. I saw that the year I saw you. You know, they, he starts out before I do. Yeah. And I was starting to hit the wall a little bit, and I saw him at about. Almost right before that little bridge you go over to Kenmore, you know. Which people, which is Mount Everest to me, by the oh, way. At that point, it totally feels like it. <laughs> and I got so emotional seeing him. And we know each other because he listens to the show. We'll direct yeah. message. And I gave him a slap on the back. I didn't hip check him because I'm not an asshole. But I ran by him. And it, you know how it is. It actually gives you – I was so emotional. I felt such a lift from it. It was, it was, it was, a, it was a gray moment, yeah. But that's uh, – so you know so – well, you'll do one more. You get your hip. You get the hip replaced. Yeah, again. I'm going to try. And uh, the first doctor I saw said, "Oh, you can never run a marathon again." But they eh. told John Young not to run. So yeah. what do they know? Fuck that. All right, Buck. I'm going to let you go. You you going to hear you again on the EI soon? Some couple more dinners with Zachary. You'll be back on the air. What, what did Pete say? The olive branch. See, I have no olive branch <laughs> to extend because I have no issues. Maybe you need some issues. That's how you get back on the air. Really. Yes, yeah, say something. So Go Pete's ahead. going back on the air then? Pete has issues. I, but that's up to management. I don't no. know. You get along with everybody at the station? Um, I have to go 
Yeah, I'd say so. Dale, Holly. Yeah, I mean, I'm Thornton. not buddies with Dale. I mean, yeah. Dale and I have been friends. You know, we go back thirty. We did a lot of radio with him. Yeah, with a lot of radio. But no, we went back to Maine. No, I know, right? He was the play-by-play guy. Dale would, and we're gonna go overtime. But Dale That's would right. travel with the team. I used to cover the games. Sometimes yeah. I wouldn't travel. Yeah. Dale's job was to call in. I would listen to the game on the radio. And then when the game was over, Dale would get quotes from Tom McVie. Bring back to you. And no, call them call in them from Shabrook yeah. or right. you know Freddie <laughs> right. or whatever. Right. And um, I always claimed that Dale just made up the quotes, and he gets he gets you know because they they're trying to get on the bus and go on to Magog or someplace. It's changed a and, lot though. What do you think of sports talk radio now versus I don't know fifteen years ago? Or has it, it changed a lot? Well, I listen. I I, I still say there, there there are two really good shows in Boston. One of them is yours. And one is Felger and Maz. Yeah. And uh and I think Felger and Maz are ripe for the picking if mm-hmm. if uh they made if you guys went aggressive after them. Um and Glenn's show is gaining traction. Mm-hmm. I think it's so. Certainly the it's certainly better than it was before Glenn was there. Glenn needs to be on EEI. Yeah. Because we need Glenn and, and Glenn <laughs> listen, Glenn doesn't call me anymore. Glenn doesn't call you anymore. You know what I'm talking That's about? That's true. You're right. Yeah, the gossiping and the yeah. long phone calls are gone because he has his outlet now. And then, do you ever notice that you could talk to Glenn on the phone and tell him something? And then he would tell it back to you? And then he would tell it back yeah. to you three days later? You say, say I, I'm hearing they're, <laughs> they're not happy with Ben's. I'm like, yeah, Glenn, yeah. I told you that yeah. three days ago. And uh, so, so Glenn's important to this market, and Glenn needed to have a stage, and I'm glad he has it. Yeah, and you are okay. I would love to be back with Glenn. Back there with Glenn, yeah, totally. Yeah, you That's enjoyed the happiest fifteen years. The some of the some of the most fun I've had in thirty eight years in this business was doing the big show. Well, it's so much easier than writing, and, right? Yeah, and and for me to not say that would be disingenuous. What is your what is what was your least favorite radio experience? Oh, ask Glenn. Glenn will tell you exactly what it was. It was on Saturday morning. They paired me up with Howard David. Who was the oh, God, just, play-by-play guy? They just hired Howard to do the Celtics. Celtics, yeah. And and Howard, as part of his deal, had to do a Saturday morning show. And Howard's a great guy, but Howard and me had no chemistry at all. Howard was a big Atlanta Braves fan. Right. He went on the very first show and did 40 minutes on Fred Ooh, McGriff. That's not good. And I'm sitting there saying, I don't want to talk about Fred McGriff. I'd rather talk about... Tony C. Right. You know, something that's <laughs> right, right. up my alley. Right. And uh, no, but that was, uh, and it had nothing to do, Howard and, I, Howard and I, this was a absolute fact. Howard and I had never met until we went on the air at 9 a.m. Yeah. Can you imagine going no. on with a new partner? Didn't they whisk you guys off to Florida and all no, that No, that was stuff? Salk and Holly. Salk and Holly. <laughs> Worked out <Yeah>. well. <laughs> I had known, I'd worked with John. Salk I, was a bad fit for this I'd never worked with Jerry even as a filling guy before I was yeah. on the show, I yeah. But you would you would just sort of like the the, the, the little chimp on a stool there, that right? And I sort of graduated, and then you sort of took over the show. But don't you think it's essential? Like Glenn's one of those guys. You're one of those guys. Jerry is um, uh, mutt for me. Is we can go like you and I. It can get heated. We can get yeah. mad. But when the red light goes off, it do, it doesn't matter. No, you, but it wasn't always that way. When I first was doing the big show with Glenn, I would, oh, you weren't always that way. No, I learned after, but the other thing is, and I'm sure people, I'm sure you know this, but what happens is someone comes up to you and says, hey, they ripped you on the big show. Right. And then I say, hey, I heard you ripped me on the big show. Right. Well, they, they, made, really. they made jokes yeah. about hair dye and the usual, yeah, right. you know, Tony C or something, right. the no. usual crap. I'll get tweets about that. Oh, they're shitting all over you on, yeah. and then they hear, it's nothing. It's Yeah, and, and, and so once you once I was doing it on a regular basis, and, and it was the best thing ever for my career, doing oh, the big show. Definitely. 
more people reading the column, more people inviting me to speak, more people coming up to me at Fenway. Probably leads uh, to TV, right? It leads oh, totally. To, yeah. Totally did. Yeah. And uh, so, no, the big show was, was phenomenal. I think that format could work today. You could plug it in and it would work today. Yeah. I think, you know, people are sick of hearing the same three voices every day mm-hmm. on every show. I think that, that that was the genius of it, you know. You but could, I am right that Glenn doesn't call you anymore, right? Uh, we talk every once in a while. But, but not, when, but but when not, he wasn't working, we yeah. talk, he would... You but know. he doesn't call you at 11 in the morning and stuff like he used to. Yeah, and he won't say, geez, what, what's going on with Dino? He's losing it. No, I'm not saying I'm not, you know, I'm not saying I could fit in there better. But, yeah. You know, and you would say, Glenn, yeah, no, I understand, yep. And his phone was always shitty. It, it cut out like three times, and it'd be the same seven rumors. Yep. But this is exactly what he's doing right now. He was born to do it. Totally. And I think he's the best in the city ever at it. Totally. Couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, other than me, obviously. <laughs> All right, Buck, we'll do this again. So, we didn't get to, it's like 20 things we didn't get to. Uh, well, you got my number. Yes. Maybe when we're doing a show sometime, we we'll can talk steaks. about things. Yes. We'll bring DJ over. Bring DJ over. We'll have the whole conversation. Can, you, can we do like one each week? We'll bring DuPont over the next week. That's what I do. I bring people Shaughnessy. together. No, but I would, I'd be happy to do a show with you and talk about these things sometime. Good. We will do that over the summer at least, right? Oh, yeah. The, you know, am I like the Memorial Day, Labor Day guy again? He's the July 4th guy. It's going to be <laughs> it's gonna be you and Dino on July 4th. All right. Thanks, Buck. See you later. Thanks for listening to Enough About Me with Kirk Minahan. If you want more great podcasts, it's pretty easy. You go and go to the WEI mobile app. You can go to Stitcher. You can go to iTunes. You can look up Enough About Me with Kirk Minahan. You can find the ones with Sean McDonough, Bob Ryan, Dan Shaughnessy, David Portnoy. There'll be more. And what you can do when you like them, you write a review. That'll help us out a lot. You give us a rating. We can help you. You can help us. Get that done. Do it right now. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend, or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.